Hi there, it's Joe. I am the composer of the theme that you hear at the top and tail of every episode and all the other music throughout the show. Sarah's given me special permission to use a mic, yay, and let you know that my debut album is out. It's called Nobody Joins a Cult and it's available via Bandcamp, Spotify, Apple Music, most places that you find your music. It's an instrumental album, kind of post-rock, built from all the music I've made for the show over the past few years. I'd be honoured if you'd check it out and spread the word if you enjoy it. Just search up Joe Gould, that's J-O-E-G-O-U-L-D, Nobody Joins a Cult. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Andrew Pledger was raised in the independent Fundamental Baptist movement, and after completing his homeschool education, attended Bob Jones University. He is the creator of the limited podcast Surviving Bob Jones University, A Christian Cult. His podcast explores the school's history, the psychology of fundamentalism, the criteria for cults, and survivors' experiences. Andrew was kind enough to share some of his experiences with me for today's episode. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sects, a podcast about cults around the world. I'm your host, Sarah Steele. Before we get into this episode, a content warning. This podcast deals with issues that some people may find disturbing related to trauma, emotional abuse, and controlling behaviours. We also discuss suicidality. Please use your discretion as to whether this will be suitable for you and those around you who may be listening to. Andrew Pledger, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really great to meet you. Firstly, can you tell me a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, so for those who don't know me, my name is Andrew Pledger, and I was raised in a religious cult that was a part of the independent fundamental Baptist movement. And my parents homeschooled me and my brothers K through 12 for the purpose of indoctrination into this group and both of my parents they were involved in the ifb they were raised in it and my parents met at a um, independent fundamental baptist college called hiles anderson which was a part of one of the biggest ifb churches at the time called first baptist of hammond indiana And my dad was studying at this college attached to this church, and he was studying to be a pastor. And my mom was studying to be a Christian school teacher in the IFB movement. 
and they got married in the early 90s and my dad was in the ministry for a few years and decided that it wasn't for him and i think another thing that's crucial i think to their kind of story was they struggled to have children for many years i I think they tried six to seven years they tried to have children they couldn't and so they prayed and prayed and prayed to god to give them children and then they ended up having three boys and i'm the middle child and that made them more dedicated to indoctrinating us to what they believed what god wanted because they felt like god gave them children so that made them more convicted or more strict about forcing this ifb ideology in our minds so we were homeschooled me and my brothers are homeschooled k through 12 and in my later teen years I realized that I was gay, which is one of the worst things that you could be in this group. You were compared to murderers. You were compared to pedophiles. And so for me, I was confused about my sexuality for a while because they have such binary thinking around things that I didn't fit into their binary system. So I'm like, oh, like I don't fit their definition. So I'm fine. And I never heard the term gay. Like it was always sodomite. That was the term that they would use very dehumanizing language. And as I got older, I struggled a lot with mental health issues. And in this group, you pray and read your Bible that's the answer that's the only reason for mental health issues it's always spiritual it's spiritual attacks and in this in that environment i was so lonely and i never felt like i belonged in it and i tried so desperately to fit in and growing up i was taught to not trust myself that i was evil my flesh is evil i couldn't trust my thoughts or my heart or my gut But during my childhood, there were things that this inner voice inside of me, really my intuition, or as psychology they would call it, maybe the self, would be bothered by certain things in the environment. Things that my parents did, things that happened in the cult that I grew up in that just stood out to me. And like I was heavily indoctrinated, I, I bought into it. But there were moments where there was some voice inside of me that was like, this doesn't feel right. And then the indoctrination's like, you're not supposed to question authority. You're supposed to obey authority. They're always right. And so stuffing that voice down. So growing up, I I noticed an extreme obsession that bothered me that people had with our leader in that group. And just a lot of the extreme teachings and the extreme us versus them mindset and the demand for isolation from the outside world and even people who believed differently for us from us, but still consider themselves Christians. And, and just, they took this very fear-based approach to it. It was based in so much fear, shame, and guilt, and a lot of manipulation. And for me, at 17 years old, I knew I needed to get out of that environment, but I didn't know how. And I really wanted to go to college and get an education, but my parents, they would only pay for a fundamentalist Christian college. And so I ended up going to Bob Jones University, which is another cult, which is what I'm really here 
to really focus on today is my time at Bob Jones University, which I was there for three and a half years. Just before we get into Bob Jones University, you mentioned that your your mother had studied uh, Christian school teaching and yet you were all homeschooled your entire lives, which I just thought that was kind of interesting. And I have a lot of questions about you know, homeschooling and and the the regulations around that or the lack of regulations around that. Uh, I guess a lot of people I speak to have been homeschooled and kept out of the education system, but I just wondered what your perspective was on homeschooling. You know, that's a big question, but from your personal experience, what, what are your thoughts on homeschooling in general? Yeah, I think homeschooling is rarely a good thing. I think it can only be a good thing for people who, because we're all different. There are some kids I think that are really smart and they really need that focus attention, that individualized education. And there are some people who are special needs that struggle in that environment. I, I, from what kind of I've heard about the public school system is a very like one size fits all. It doesn't help neurodivergent people. So the public school system has a lot of issues in the US. But I think what's good is you need to be able to interact with children your own age and navigate those social things. And, and I think too, like, if you know, you're going to school, and you're going back home, parents should be able to help you with homework and teach you that. But with homeschooling, most of the time, I think it's really harmful because of the isolation. And there's a lot of like, I guess you would say arrested development. And I would feel more supportive of homeschooling in the US if there was more oversight to it. But there's not. In America, the laws are different in each state. And I grew up in North Carolina. And they had some regulations, not much. You were required to like sign up as like a homeschool with the state. So they would know you existed and they knew you were homeschooling your children. But I knew homeschool families that didn't do that. They chose not to do that. And they were under the radar and no one knew they existed. The government had no idea. And once they knew if you sign if you let them know that you have a school and you're homeschooling you're then we were required to sub- take a end of year test an achievement test is what they called it growing up but we would do that at the end of every year to see if we were keeping up so that's how they kept up with like education but when it came to like social services they would like social services would only check on people who like were a major issue or if a neighbor called or something like that. So these children in these environments, like you are hidden from society, you're very isolated and in especially these religious homeschooling programs, you're being indoctrinated. I was not taught to critically think growing up with the education that I had. It was a curriculum called Abeka Homeschooling, and it was produced by an IFB college called Pensacola Christian College. And just for a little overview of some of the things, you know, you're taught that the world is between six to 10,000 years old, and that evolution is completely false, and that God created the world in six days. And there's no sex education at all. 
period. And the history is very like, it's rooted a bit in like white supremacy and like white nationalist perspective, like looking back on that for me, like I'm glad that, I mean, I'm still, I'm still overcoming educational neglect and it's something that like I struggle with a lot of shame with like how many things I am behind on because of that. I mean, I think my mom did the best that she could with homeschooling and I think it would have been absolute hell for me to be in, because I would have been in a Christian school. I think that would have been hell. Thankfully, I think for me, I had opportunities to explore different hobbies and interests. So I think that did help me figure out what I loved and what I wanted to do, because I think a lot of people in the public school system, there's no creativity. So I would say creativity was great in that aspect, but also core life skills of certain things, no. And like the sciences and maths, a lot of issues there too, I would say. But again, I think the thing with like parents' rights in America is that there's this assumption that all parents are going to do the right thing and do what's best for their children. And that's not true. And the sad thing is like the U.S. is like, I think like the only like first world country that hasn't taken on the U.N.'s children's list of rights like children's rights are not a thing in america we're second like at that age like i was just a second class citizen it didn't matter just obey those in authority so i think that lack of oversight the educational neglect and all the indoctrination and i realized that not all homeschoolers homeschool for the purpose of indoctrination but it's hap it's happening a lot and since covid happened a lot more people in america are homeschooling their children. So I think we need to have some oversight into that to protect like the future of our country, quite honestly. Yeah, I really appreciate your perspective. And as you say, I mean, that's not to say that homeschooling can't be done really well and for mm -hmm. reasons that you know, may, may yeah. be uh, true reflections on some of the shortcomings of the, the schooling system. Uh, but yes, obviously, a lot of the cases that I hear about are not <laughs> not generally so so well intentioned. Yeah. And so, coming back to BJU, what can you tell me about Bob Jones University as a bit of an overview? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think Bob Jones University and the Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement they both started for the same reasons. And it was about separation from society, isolation, protecting, I'm using air quotes, protecting members from any information that contradicts their belief system. So just going over the whole Stephen Hassan bite model, controlling their behavior, the information they're expo exposed to, their thoughts, their emotions. And it was just this fear of anything that was different. So it was like difference equals danger in that environment. And so, and really it was the fear, I think also of losing control because fundamentalist Christianity is very, very controlling and is really fear-based. And Bob Jones University, it started because Okay, first I'm going to dig a little bit into history. So it was started in 1927 by Bob Jones Sr., who was an evangelist. 
and he perceived the secularization of higher education and influence, even if we're just religious liberalism in colleges, as a threat to what he believed was the truth. And so he wanted to start this college to give people an education, <laughs> but doing it through the lens of fundamentalist Christianity, where anything that contradicts what they believe, they try to do anything they can to dismiss or disregard that. And so it's it's a system of indoctrination because eventually they want people to come out on the other end and be inoculated against anyone who believes differently or any information that is different. And you're really just taught to shut down or really have like, I guess you would say thought stopping techniques to shut down certain information. You're just given an answer for like all of life's, I guess you would say, issues or secular arguments, I guess you would say against it. Because when you're at that school, like when I was there, I had to take four Bible classes that was a part of my curriculum. And then the fifth one I had to take was an apologetics class that was dedicated to all the arguments against the faith and how to fight against it. But yeah, so this college was started to separate from the outside world indoctrinate students into fundamentalist ideology. And I think also a big part of fundamentalist Christianity, this separation from the outside world, it also involved race, staying away from different races, not mixing the races. That's a big part of fundamentalist, like racist history. And all these Christian schools across America, they were started for segregation to keep the white children away from the people of color. And that's another thing about Bob Jones University is they have their own academy in elementary school. So they have the like the school like K through 12 and then they want to funnel these kids into the university. So you know, the poor kids who grew up in that like get 22 years of that environment to then I mean really the purpose of this school from my experience of what I saw is to break you down and give you an, an identity, what they want you to be. And, you know, they build you back up into what they want you to be. And then they send you into the outside world. And this environment has a very extreme us versus them mindset. You're very isolated from the outside world because you were forced to live on campus. If you like lived or came to the school from out of state and you were between the ages of 18 and 22, which 18 and 22, like those are the ages most people go to college. You were forced to live in their dormitories on their campus. And in these dormitories, you were subjected to a hierarchical authoritarian structure in each dorm, which I don't, I can get into it later, but Bob Jones university throughout their years, they've had a lot of different controversies. So they didn't allow their first African-American student until I think it was 1971 and they banned interracial dating and marriage until 2000 until 2000, they banned interracial dating 
and marriage. Yes. And the reason that that ban was lifted was because of George W. Bush. He was visiting around for his presidential campaign and he visited Bob Jones University and that put Bob Jones like in the national spotlight. And once people realized that, oh my goodness, this school is banning interracial dating and marriage in 2000, there was backlash. Like why, like, why are you going to this school that promotes white supremacy? Like, what are you doing? And because it made them look bad, they had to protect their reputation. Because that's what is these authoritarian and narcissistic institutions. That's what it's all about, protecting the reputation. It's not about actually creating a healthy environment or really caring for the members. It's like how do they look? And so they lifted that ban, and that would not be the last controversy for them. Because in 2014, a report was released about an investigation in Bob Jones about the years of covered up sexual abuse cases. And there was a report, it was called the grace report and grace. It stands for an organization that stands for godly response to abuse in the Christian environment. So there's a whole organization that specifically investigates Christian organizations that have abuse, which that's a red flag automatically. I think that we have to have an organization to do that. And, and what they found out was a lot of the victims were blamed and shamed, you know, typical questions that like, Oh, what were you wearing? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, were you drinking too much? It was, and these victims were yeah, shame blamed and then told to forgive their abusers and move on. And so what about the perpetrators? No, no, not in that environment. It wasn't about taking care of the victims. It was just, oh, we don't want to make a fuss out of it. And, mm. and it's sad because they're not trained how to really, I mean, in the past, they were not trained with how to really handle that situation. It was just through this very toxic lens of blame and shame. And they have their counseling model based in biblical counseling, which is not evidence-based at all. It's all about this person who has a theological view and whatever problem you have, they are going to fit your situation into their belief system. And they're not willing to be flexible in their mindset. And like, that's something with fundamentalist Christians. They are not flexible. They're very rid have very rigid thinking. And so this school has all these different controversies with these different areas and, even Bob Jones the third, who was one of the presidents, he said like some really hateful comments about the LGBTQ community too, which he since of course apologized for. But just so many controversies and also just having this culture that is so controlling over every aspect of your life. And really like it's like a prison in a sense. And for like a history of the presidents, it was, you know, Bob Jones Sr. Then it was Bob Jones Jr. It was a Bob Jones III. Then it was Stephen Jones. <laughs> so all these Joneses. And eventually the first president that was out of the Jones family 
was Steve Pettit, who became president, I think, in 2013 or 14. And Steve Pettit recently left the university, which there was a whole lot of drama that went on with that. And I can get into that later. And so that's just kind of a bit of the overview of Bob Jones University. Sounds like a fairly scandal-ridden history, I suppose. Or <laughs> yes. Uh, and so I guess I wondered, also, you mentioned that you had to go to various Bible study classes and apologetics classes and so on. Is it a limited kind of uh, types of courses that the university is offering? So they pick the courses for you. They're not like electives, if that makes sense, that you choose for yourself. So when I was there, I had to take Old Testament and then I had to take New Testament and then there's Bible Doctrines 1, and then there's Bible Doctrines 2, and then Apologetics. And that was like what they picked out for you. Right. So there's no electives as such? It depends, I guess, on your major. It was required of every student to take those five classes. And if you wanted to take more Bible classes, you could... If you wanted to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to use, like there were free electives that I had for other things, but I just can't imagine, I'm sure there were ministry students who wanted to do that, but you could, you had to do those five classes no matter what. And if you wanted to do extra Bible classes for whatever reason, you could, if you wanted to subject yourself to that. And what were you majoring in? Yeah, when I entered the school, I was majoring in filmmaking, and then I switched to visual studies with a concentration in photography, which is just kind of a a broad program where I was able to focus on digital media, graphic design, and photography. So in terms of the the courses that people could major in, like the subjects that people could major in, were they limited as well in terms of what types of classes this belief system would want you to? Yeah. Yeah. So Bob Jones University, they had a wide range of different majors you could pick from. And then with all the different classes that you have for your majors, which was different for everyone, whatever major they were in, they had what they called the BJU core classes. And so a lot of the core classes were things that accredited schools required because Bob Jones University, believe it or not, is an accredited school. So there were things that like, okay, yeah, I had to take several English classes, I had to take a couple of philosophy classes, had to take a math class, like all these different like liberal arts classes. But what they added in their core for everyone to take, that was the five Bible classes. Now, if someone was a Bible major, they're already taking so many hard Bible classes, they weren't required to do that. But all the students outside that weren't ministry majors or weren't Bible majors, we all, that was a part of the indoctrination. And like, I was just really mad about that because I'm like, I'd rather take like a social studies class. I'd rather take a psychology class because like I knew the Bible, like I had been indoctrinated into it my entire life. So why would I just want to regurgitate and learn the same information and the same talking points again? And and honestly, it did the opposite effect for me. It made me really want to just leave and deconvert from that system. Yeah, interesting. The, yeah, the exact opposite of what they intended with 
the formation of this university. Mm-hmm. Can you share some of the rules and teachings that you encountered during your time at BJU? Mm. Yeah, so I will start with the teachings because oh, this in the rule, and then I'll get into the rules because it's a lot to dig into. But with the teachings, I think what I want to emphasize too is we were required to go to chapel just about every day. There were four chapel services a day every student was required to go to. And this would involve a sermon and then saying the creed and doing some praise and worship. Now the creed, this would be a moment where the entire student body, we would all stand up together and the creed would then be shown on the screen and we all had to say this creed in unison out loud together every chapel service. And I remember the first time doing it and, you know, the creed, these were core beliefs that we had to believe to go to this university. And I remember the first moment standing there. And as we're all doing this, this just zombie like state, we were all in saying this creed in unison that we were supposed to take without questioning. It was just a really creepy moment for me. And it made me really uncomfortable, but you know, I continued to say the creed because I was so afraid if someone noticed that I wasn't saying it because there were issues. I've heard stories. Thankfully it never happened to me, but there are times if you don't see the creed, sometimes people will follow you and they'll ask you, why didn't you say the creed? And I remember the president during the time I was there, Steve Pettit, he talked about, he's like, yeah, he's like, I saw a student, they didn't recite the creed. So I followed them to the dining common and I asked them, why didn't you say the creed? Because if you didn't conform, that meant that you maybe didn't necessarily believe what they believed. And that university wants to create you in their image and their identity. And if you're not like them or fit into them, their mold, they don't want you there. They want a very specific kind of person at that university. And I did not fit that mold because I was expelled and I'll get into that later. But for the creed, here are some of the core teachings in the creed, the inspiration of the Bible. So divinely inspired by God, the creation of man by God, the incarnation and virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus died on the cross for mankind's sin and God can save us from the power of sin. Jesus resurrected. Once we get saved, which is just accepting Jesus into our hearts through saying this prayer, we would then be implanted with a new birth through the Holy Ghost. And this could only come through repentance. In this environment, when Jesus died on the cross, that doesn't mean everyone's saved. You have to like repent and ask for forgiveness for your sins. And then you can get into heaven. But the thing is, if you don't conform to their teachings or their ways, that's a sign you're not saved and you're going to hell. So that kind of helps keep that fear in place to keep you conforming. Because if you're not conforming, you might not be saved and you're actually going to burn for eternity. So that fear and control with that. And so these things that I listed, these are just, these are core things of fundamentalist Christianity, typical teachings. And I think what I want to emphasize is what makes Bob Jones University a cult 
is a control that they have, which we'll get into. But for some other teachings, you know, very binary view on marriage, they take a theological view called complementarianism. And it is this view of marriage where the wife is submissive to the husband and is a homemaker. And it's funny because I was reading their website and they're like, men and women are equal, but they have different roles. <laughs> the women are supposed to serve. Them. And I was just like, what? <laughs> uh. so it's a very like Duggar style belief of like what the marriage is supposed to be like. And of course, like, creationism the world is six to ten thousand years old god created the world in six days and regarding the bible that's the thing that is they worship they worship the bible they worship their interpretation of what they think the bible says and it's all about certainty and they believe the bible has no errors in it at all it is perfect completely and then those are some kind of the core teachings of it. And I asked some people, some survivor, Bob Jones survivors, I was like, what are some teachings and Bob Jones that are like more specific to them and kind of maybe more outside a little bit of fundamentalism? And someone sent me a little bit, a few points from this sermon that was preached in the 1990s at Bob Jones by David CNs, who was on an, I think, the executive committee at that time. So, this is what part of this sermon says A fundamentalist is one who believes and obeys everything that is clearly taught in scriptures, which people argue about what the scripture actually says in the interpretation. But it says, All that is clearly taught, whether for belief or conduct, is fundamental and essential to the Christian faith. A fundamentalist will separate on the basis of any kind of denial of that which is clearly taught. He will not compromise that which is fundamental. He will separate on the base of two categories. Number one is heresy or belief. Number two is willful disobedience, so in actions or in practice. And here are some core points from this sermon. A fundamentalist will separate from either unbelievers unbelievers or even believers who violate fundamental truths or commands of scriptures. Number two, a fundamentalist takes seriously the clear command to love his brethren. And sorry, this is just such bullshit. (laughs) I'm so sorry. So a fundamentalist takes seriously the clear command to love his brethren and to promote biblical unity among his brethren. They don't like, this environment's not loving. So that's why I think this is hilarious. There's like no, there's not much love in this environment at all. But the next point is a fundamentalist will fellowship with all who believe and obey what is clearly taught. And then let's see, number four, a fundamentalist will participate with other fundamentalists to the extent that agreement on other non-fundamental beliefs renders it possible And then the fifth one is a fundamentalist operates on the basis of principle. So what is involved, not personality who is involved. So again, the core of all of these things is separation, separation from people who are different, separation from people who don't believe like us at all, that us versus them mindset. And so regarding the rules of Bob Jones University, 
<laughs> okay, where do I start? <laughs> so with the rules, I'm just going to start with like the information control. So restricted access to TV, music, books, all other media, video games also. You were not allowed to play video games above a T rating. You were not allowed to watch movies above a PG rating. You are not allowed to listen to any secular music. So basically, like, you can listen to hymns, and like you couldn't even listen, and you know, hymns and classical music. That's what you were allowed to listen to. You couldn't even listen to like Christian contemporary music. And regarding music, there is this teaching that I've heard promoted that, and I wrote this down: any song not written in a four-four time is demonic because other beats were used in native and indigenous rituals and also African rituals. So they're demonic. And so this is, this is rooted in racism, obviously. And so that was some of their reasonings behind that. I never heard that said, but I've heard that from other students who are in Bible classes and things and be like, Oh yeah, they taught this in Bible classes. Like, Oh yeah, most definitely. So, Regarding other rules, no alcohol, no, no tobacco, no like physical contact. We had our own dress code. We had our own curfew. We couldn't go anywhere overnight off campus unless we had to submit a pass that had to either be approved or denied. We, of course, were forced to live in the dorms if we came from out of state, subjected to all this control. Oh, yeah, our hairstyle... Have rules around hairstyles, ha- hair color, and, you know, no queer relationships at all. And, you know, if you, if there were people of like opposite genders socializing at night, they had to be in a lit area. If couples wanted to go off campus, there had to be a chaperone with you to make sure y'all didn't have sex or anything. And, you know, of course, guys and Guys and girls can't be alone in cars. And again, no, like no hugs. You you weren't allowed to hug the opposite gender there at all. I had friends who got into like they went through an interrogation pro like process because my friend's boyfriend gave her a side hug, and it was like this whole week long ordeal dealing with the repercussions of that. And so that's just a, a quick overview of their teachings and their rules. Just oof. And ask away whatever you want to. Wow. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard to even, I, I find it difficult to imagine what that would have been like to be surrounded by all of those rules. Like my time at university was just so, so different from that experience. And I mean, these are, these are young adults who are, being told what they can and can't do in so many aspects of their lives that it just seems, yeah, really wild, but I guess also not entirely surprising considering the aims of the the university and the background that it came from. So, you know, do you think many people in, in within that society found that to be kind of overbearing and unfair or were they mostly pretty compliant? Yes, I I think most people found it to be overbearing. But the issue is, and this is the funny thing, we had our own like language or lingo 
at Bob Jones, which is another sign of colds. But we had different terms. And one of the first terms that I learned when I got there was called a boge. And this term was a name for someone who followed all the rules. They loved following the rules and they snitched on anyone who did not follow the rules. And they thought they were closer to God because of that. And the thing about going to this university is, you know, your role, you know what you're supposed to do. You know how you're supposed to act. You're required to read their student handbook with all the rules. And after you read it, you're required to sign a covenant. So that's just another example of the extent of extremity and control that they had. And I remember telling people, yeah, I had to read this handbook and sign a covenant. And they were like, oh my God. Like when I was headed to this school, they were just like, I think people wanted to say, don't go. That's a cult. Please don't go. (laughs) And, but again, like I didn't have choices at all. I didn't have freedom. And so in that environment, you can't trust anyone because you don't know who's faking it and you don't know who actually believes this and who's a Boge. And the thing with the Boges is they were really close with a lot of higher authorities. They were like their little minions because that's how they contr- that was a big way of how they control people and kept you in line. Like they had all these hierarchies of leaders, but in addition to that, they had their little minions who would be watching and couldn't wait to snitch and get someone in trouble. So that was the thing. You didn't know who was real and who wasn't. Yeah, and I think that sort of touches on my next question, which is around, is is there anything that you feel was dangerous about that kind of environment? Mm, gotcha, yeah. I'm going to get notes because I have a lot, <laughs> a lot to say. Yeah, so regarding the harmfulness and toxicity of Bob Jones, Again, you always feel like you're being watched. And again, the snitching. And I think also their view on mental health, which is very shame-based. And that's another thing. You always felt like you had to put on such a happy face and always have like the joy of the Lord. Because if you didn't, that means you were sinning or weren't right with God. And so what happens is when you express that you have mental health issues, you have to meet with a biblical counselor and they're not trained in mental health at all. It is just based on the assumption that this is sin and we need to find this sin in your life. We need to, we need to find what's wrong with you and we need to fix that. We need to keep you back in line because it's never the system. It's never the teachings. It's always on you. You are always at fault. And I think another aspect was no privacy because another aspect of Bob Jones is we were always kept so busy. And I think that was another aspect of the control to keep us so occupied from not questioning and also keeping us indoctrinated, keeping us exhausted. Uh, And I think it made us more compliant with their different rules and structures, but different activities we were forced to do every week. And number one, we were forced to go to two church services a week, either two on Sunday or either one on Sunday and one on Wednesday. And we were required to pick a church from a list of approved churches they had with the 
BJU-approved theology we had to pick from. And we had to do, you know, two of the services a week. We we were all forced, I mean, for people who lived on campus, because for town students, town students, they were allowed to stay at home with their parents. And the students who lived, who came from out of state, we were forced to be in the dorms. And the dorm students, we were forced to be in discipleship groups. And for discipleship groups, this met several nights a week, very late at night when we should have been sleeping, which is another thing, keeping us exhausted in this environment and sleep deprived. And each discipleship group got their own. I mean, we all got the same booklet. It was a booklet that was crafted or created by the president that covered every single sermon that was preached in chapel, which, which I said earlier, chapel happened four days a week. It was like between 35 to 40 minutes where we had the sermon, saying the creed, and singing praise and worship songs. So we're getting that indoctrination again through these booklets that cover the sermons again, and we have to discuss it in these group settings where there's pressure to be vulnerable and to conform and not question. And in addition to that, we're all forced to be a part of forced to choose a society, which a society, it was the Christian version of a fraternity or sorority, but it wasn't fun or cool (laughs) at all. And looking back, I realized when we did these meetings for our societies, it was just like chapel, but it was with another group. It was student led in these smaller groups. And there were some other activities you could do. Some of them would have like recreational sports or competitive sports that you could get involved with. But the, so yeah, so all these different activities, so church, discipleship groups, chapel, society, all these different aspects of things we were forced to do. In addition to a lot of us working also part-time jobs to pay for school, in addition to going to classes, in addition to doing all of our homework. So it was a lot And I think that was a big part of it is these toxic messages of you're worthless, you're bad, and a lot of fear and shame-based messages in their chapel services and just keeping you in line. And I think the thing that was interesting is every once in a while, they would throw in a very loving sermon, which I realized later represents like was like a narcissistic abusive relationship with the love bombing in the beginning and then abuse. And then, Oh no, here's love again to get you back in and emotionally hooked. I think the extreme us versus them mindset was also a big part of the toxicity and even fear of people who even might believe differently on campus and going to that school you were just always in this like hyper vigilant mode. And in addition to that, I think also they cut you off so much from your humanity. They teach you not to trust yourself. You know, you're evil. And I remember, I remember being told that like you are bad. There's nothing good inside of you. You don't need to get to know yourself because that's bad. You need to like be less of yourself, put your identity in Christ, which really meant follow the teachings and do what we say to do because we have the truth. This is that's what they really meant. 
And so this breaking down of who you are and then being built back up again, who they want you to be, your spirit is just, it's crushed so much. And I think the demonization of human contact was another toxic thing because we're social beings. We need that human touch and the fear of any kind of touch leading to all these sexual things. I think it has the opposite effect. And I think we've learned that a lot of examples in society, but I don't think they're not ready to look at that or understand that. But those are just some core toxic things about that environment. Yeah. And I think sometimes that whole environment, it it can be maybe extra toxic for women who are getting messages about being lesser in Mm -hmm. many ways, even though it might be described as complimentary, (laughs) but then also clearly as a gay man in that environment, there must've been an awful lot going on Mm. around that for you as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was so scared of going to school there, worried about my own safety And for me, in the beginning, I was like, just lay low, don't call attention to yourself, follow all the rules, do everything they want you to do. And I did that for a while, and it was miserable. I was so unhappy. And, you know, my whole life, I had been a rule follower, and I prided myself in that and following the rules, doing what I was told. It felt good. It made me feel better than other people. It made me feel good about myself, but it makes you feel good until a point when you realize you can't meet their impossible standards and you have that cycle of shame and then repentance and then feel good. And then it happens all over again. And so I was so scared for my safety and I struggled a lot with my mental health because of internalized homophobia, a lot of religious trauma from the teachings I grew up with. And that was the thing for me. I was already so traumatized from these teachings. Here I am and this environment being re-triggered, my nervous system on high alert, in addition to being worried for my own safety, in addition to being exposed to homophobic sermons and just really a lot of hate speech. And I was eventually noticed by people in my dorm. And I was really, I was followed around and harassed a lot because of my perceived sexuality. I had guys that would follow me, say a lot of awful things to me in public with people seeing it, not doing anything. And I was afraid to go to any leader about it because I would be the one that would get in trouble. Oh, why do they think you're gay? Oh, are you feminine? Do we need to work on your masculine? Like I would be the one that would be put in counseling and would get in trouble, not the people following me and calling me names and harassing me. And so I just, I was so isolated and lonely in that environment. I didn't belong. And that's how I felt my entire life. I never truly belonged anywhere. I just had to fit in. I didn't have that genuine, real human connection where I could be open and authentic. I just always had to play a role. And for me, I just, I had struggled with depression in my teen years and I saw myself struggling with depression again in that environment. And I was not able to get help in my teen years for my depression. I was blamed and shamed for it and told to read the Bible and pray. And so here I am in this environment where it has that same attitude. And I know that I can't tell anyone about this. And so that made it so much worse. And I almost took my own life at that university in their dormitory and no one knew about it. 
And I'm so thankful that I didn't, that I was able to uh, emotionally get myself out of that state. And I was able to call a hotline and they helped me through that. But I think for me, getting going through that and getting to that point, it was a wake up call that I had to take my own life in my own hands because at that point, I was so afraid to break the rules and go against authority because in fundamentalist Christianity, it has this idea of umbrella of authority, which is based on Bill Gothard's teachings from the Institute of Basic Life Principles, which the Duggars were a part of. This idea of you always have to obey authorities above you. And if you don't do that and you go out from under that umbrella of authority, bad things are going to happen to you. Satan's going to get you or God is going to punish you. But for me, I was doing all the things they were saying. I was staying under authority and conforming, but I was struggling. Their formula wasn't working for me. And when your formula doesn't work and they're aware of that, that's a threat to them. And they have to force you in their box. So I had to keep that a secret. And what I did was that was the first moment of I'm claiming my autonomy I'm going to break the rules to get what I need as a human being to thrive or try to thrive or even just survive in this environment. And I remember one of the first rules I broke, which was actually the first time it was on an accident. I slept in late on a Sunday morning and they cleared the dorms every Sunday morning to force you to go to church. And then they lock the dorms and no one was supposed to be in there. So I remember I slept in and I hear the residence assistant, which there was a resident assistant on each dorm. They would check the rooms nightly, make sure you were there. They would give out demerits and different things like that. Another, like there's a whole hierarchical system in each dorm. But I remember hearing this person checking the rooms. I hear doors open, close, open, close. And I hear it getting closer and closer. And like, I'm, you know, I've woken up confused and I hear the open, close, open, close. And I'm like, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get, I'm not supposed to be in here. I'm not supposed to be in my room or my bed during this time. What am I going to do? And I hear it getting closer and closer. And I'm at the top of my bunk. And I was like, I, I'm like, I probably have like 30 seconds. I don't know what to do. So I push the mattress out a foot from the wall and I slid between the wall and my mattress and I cover myself up with a blanket. And as soon as I did that, I hear the door open and I hold my breath and I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, don't make a sound. Don't do anything. And I hear this person walking and I hear them walking around the room and there's silence. And I'm like, oh my, I'm like, please don't be looking at me. Please don't notice that this bed is shoved out a foot from the wall. Please don't notice and then I hear them walk away and they shut the door. And then I look up and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I just broke a rule <laughs> and it felt really good. <laughs> and it's so ridiculous. I know. And it's so sad, but that was the extent of the control. And I ended up skipping church that morning and it just, it was refreshing. I had a time to actually legitimately rest. And so from then on, I was like, I'm going to skip church. I'm not going to go to church anymore. And 
the only way they knew about church attendance was through an honor system where you would fill out a survey saying, yes, I went to this church for this service on this date. And I would just, I learned to lie, which it was so hard for me to lie on that form because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, is God going to punish me? Is something bad going to happen to me? Like I'm lying. Oh my gosh. I've, oh, I've never been a liar. I'm now I'm lying. And, uh, and so eventually like, the skipping church didn't work out because I needed that community. I didn't have community at Bob Jones university and I was suffering emotionally. So I was like, okay, I like, I started journaling and I was like, what do I need? I'm like, I need, I need community. And I'm like, okay, where can I find that one? Most likely I'm like, it's going to be really hard to find that here. And so I was like, I'm going to explore the outside world, which that was something that was so scary to me because growing up, we were taught that the outside world was an awful, evil place. There was no love, no kindness. We could like the only people that could have true love were us, the ones who conformed to fundamentalist Christianity. We had the Holy Spirit. All the people on the outside, they were influenced by Satan. And I even heard to in some sermons that them being called children or servants of Satan. And so that was so scary to me of like, oh my gosh, the outside world, I don't know how to handle that, but I'm going to throw myself into it because I'm out of options here. So I ended up going to a very progressive and liberal church in the area. And this was my freshman year, second semester. So this was like 2019. And I remember walking to this massive church, looking up the steps, looking at this massive steeple. And I'm like, I'm like I have no idea what to expect in here. I, I was, I've always been told that progressive Christians are so bad and evil and they're, they promote heresy, but I'm going to try it out and see. And it was scary to me because I was a very shy individual growing up. I never really fit in anywhere. And I didn't develop the social skills that I had really needed through homeschooling. So I was just felt so uncomfortable, so awkward and out of place. And I ended up going there. And for the first Sunday school class, I was like, I felt awkward and uncomfortable. And I was like, I'm like, why did I come here? And then I go to the big service and they announced a visitor's luncheon. And at that luncheon, I met a family and I told them of my situation and that I'm like, I just need community. And I'm just a place where I'm not constantly being watched and my every action is controlled. I just want to just be human and not be afraid of my sexuality being found out. And so these people, they, they told me, they're like, we live across the street from Bob Jones University. Like we can pick you up every week and take you to this church. And that's what they did. And I kind of lived a double life of going to this church I'm not allowed to go to and, you know, meeting this family. And eventually they gave me a key to their house and I was able to walk off Bob Jones campus and I would we walk across the street and I would go to their house and they would be at work during the day at times. And so I would just be alone in their house watching TV <laughs> where no one could monitor me watching these shows that I was not allowed to watch and just relax. And it was such a relief and it was so shocking to me because I'm like, I found out that these people, they didn't believe in the gospel. They didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God. They believed in a, in a historical Jesus, just like he was a person 
And to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, these people don't believe this. You know, I've been taught they're going to hell and they're not supposed to be loving, but these are the most loving people that I've met. So that cognitive dissonance that happened, and I'm like, they are lying to us. That's that's not true. I'm so sorry that things got so bad for you. That's really, mm. really difficult to hear about. And I, yeah, I can't imagine how that would have felt, but it's, it's a really common story for me to hear that someone yeah. has kind of reached a point of hitting rock bottom before they can actually begin to question everything, because that's the thing that makes you think, well, what are my options here? It's either <laughs> end it all or have a think about what we're doing. And um, so yeah, it's amazing that you managed to find this family and also kind of start to to challenge these beliefs and what you've been taught. And that's such an incredibly huge thing to do. I also can't imagine psychologically what that would be like to sort of start to question everything that you've grown up oh. believing in. So this discussion, it makes me think about an episode that I did for Let's Talk About Sects about an organisation called The Master's commission which was it was a discipleship program that it was attended by a guy who I interviewed called Remy Attig who actually he was also gay and he had a lot of the same experiences that you had but with a, a different kind of a group but what what struck me about this organization and that one as being similar is that the setup kind of differs from other cultic organizations in that there's a way out in the form of of graduating out that is that there's like a certain end point to your involvement, uh, whereas most most cultic groups, the, the aim is to kind of keep people in there as long as possible, right, and, and keep them within the cult. And so I just I wondered uh, what your thoughts were about that kind of aspect mm -hmm. of looking at BJU as a cult, I suppose. Yeah, that's a really, really great question. And I'm just going to give, I guess, a more complex answer most of the students they will graduate and go on to live their own lives but the thing is you are broken down in this environment and built up into basically a soldier for christ to spread their theology and their teachings to whatever environment you're in so whether you're a nurse whether you own a business whether you're a preacher whatever or you're an artist whatever you do expressing that belief system through it is what it is expected. And I think something I want to emphasize, and this applies specifically to people who major in like um, Bible or the ministry there, there are Bob Jones, I mean, probably thousands of Bob Jones churches across America. And Bob Jones University is like the mothership for all these churches. So, and they report back, to Bob Jones and like, oh, okay, well, this is their theology. We have to align with this. We have to align with their teachings and their beliefs. And all these different churches also promote the college and recruit students through these different churches to funnel them in, to make them into this person and then put them out into the world to spread their ideology, whether it's also like, I forgot to mention government politics, Bob Jones has definitely had their hands into politics in the past. That's one thing that I, important thing I forgot to mention, heavily involved with politics in the past and a little bit more in the present too. And 
so yeah, so a major, so there are people who are in the ministry and start a Bob Jones church or they're missionaries across the world with Bob Jones theology. And so they perpetuate it through that. Then there are people I think who leave and they live their own lives and they deconstruct that environment and are like, you know what? This is toxic. I'm going to do my faith in a different way, or I'm just going to leave this faith or maybe find a different spiritual thing. But I think also what happens is when you're there, faculty and leadership, they're looking for a select few students that will then replace them and dedicate their whole lives to this place. So there's a mix of people. There are select few people that will stay there their entire lives. There are a lot of people that will leave and live their own lives and do what they want and deconstruct that. There are a lot of people that will leave and they will keep it and they will spread it in churches. They will spread it in their communities or wherever. So I think there's a different kinds of people in that environment. And then again, there are people who are expelled like me who don't fit the mold, who go against the system and don't conform. And I I don't think this is something I have talked about, but I was on a path to stay at Bob Jones University because I didn't feel like I could leave. Because number one, it was so comfortable. It was familiar. Yes, I was experiencing so much harm, so much toxicity, but I knew how to navigate it. It had been my entire life. It was familiar. And I, I ended up getting a job, before, this was before I was expelled, at the at BJU Press, which they had their own homeschooling curriculum that they had. I forgot to mention that, that they produced and they put out to all these different homeschooling families and that they use in their Christian schools K through 12. And I was set to work there full time after graduation. And what made it really easy, I think, for me to stay was number one, familiar. Number two, they the resources that they provided for you. So for example, they had a really cheap apartment complex that they had for staff and graduate students. That was just nothing. And I was like, oh, that's really cheap. And that could help me as I get off my feet because I'm in this transition of out of college into adulthood. And, oh, I can walk across the street to the college. I don't have to have a car or pay for a car or pay for gas. So they made it so convenient and easy to stay there by providing all these things for you and keeping you dependent. And, oh, if I work here, I can get free food from their cafeteria. And so that's what made it easy. And I knew at that point, I was like, there was a part of me that was like, I want to get away from this. I want to leave this all behind. But a part of me is like, oh, this is familiar. We know how to navigate this. And so there is that internal conflict of that. And so, of course, I ended up getting expelled, which I think it was, it was good for me to force me out of that environment and spread my wings and fly. But... And I honestly think that there was a faculty member there that wanted me to eventually replace them. They were my mentor. And just me thinking of that, I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't, I can't do that. I can't live a lie my entire life. Yeah. I think that that, yeah, is a really interesting exploration of that aspect. And it totally makes sense to me. And so now that you've mentioned it a couple of times, let's let's get into it. How did you find your way out? How did you get expelled <laughs> from BJU? Yes. So I was expelled my very last semester 
of my senior year. And it had been something that had been building up because I had decided myself internally at 17 years old to leave fundamentalist Christianity because I, I could at least admit at that age, this is harmful. This is toxic. And so all those years at Bob Jones University, three and a half years, I mean, it was quite, it was a lot of growth that happened for me. Those three and a half years, a lot of questioning, a lot of deconstruction. And I think the good part, I think, of going to Bob Jones was getting away from my parents to form, to at least try to form my own identity. You know, I'm still fighting against Bob Jones trying to make me into what they wanted me to be. But I think once I could, at times, figure out who I was, I was like, I've conformed to this out of survival. Like, I don't, this isn't personal to me. All these fear-based teachings, all this hatefulness, all this degradation, all this shame and blame. I'm like, this, no. And so that was so hard to realize in that environment, surrounded by all these things. Like, where do I go? This is all I've known. I don't know anyone on the outside. So that's what prompted me then to explore. And, you know, I eventually met, met that family. But those years... I think for me, it was finding the term religious trauma was really validating for me because, and really eye-opening because it gave me a label to something that I was struggling with, with all the internalized homophobia, all the mental health issues from the teachings. It was like removing that shame. It was like, this isn't me. This isn't my fault. It isn't, I'm not spiritually inferior. I'm not a moral failure. This is a toxic system of control with abusive teachings. And this these are the effects that it's caused on my psyche. So again, it was that growth of going from the rule follower to the rebel of questioning that authority. Because that was the control. I was so scared to go against authority. It had been ingrained in me my entire life. You don't go against authority. But I started to question that authority. And that's really what started to free my mind. I think. And so throughout those years, it was just slow. And it was, it was scary to question that because I was really emotionally, it was emotionally addicting, I think, in a way. These different shame cycles and just rituals you would do to overcome that shame and just do this checklist of things. But eventually, my senior year, I decided to create a photo series that portrayed religious trauma and my experience of that. And that was just kind of like the senior project that I was working on and that I kept secret. I didn't tell anyone that I was doing it. I mean, I did announce it on social media, like I'm working on a special series on like religious trauma, but I never said to anyone else like on campus, like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. And I ended up finding a model for it. And I, and I told them, I'm like, I'm doing this on religious trauma it's a controversial topic. I just want to let you know. And what I didn't tell this person was I'm going to publicly come out of the closet and leave this environment. That was the part I didn't tell, <laughs> but it was just funny looking back. And so I made this series and it was very cathartic. And, and part of this series was also doing research in like the psychology of fundamentalism and what it provided and why people think this way, what's so attractive about it and the effects of it. And that really, 
it was hard. Like I had to take breaks. Like there were days where it just like, I was just overcome with so much, so many emotions that I didn't know what they were or even know how to deal with or navigate because you weren't taught how to do that. And then environment, it was like prayed away any unpleasant emotions, just, Oh, that's Satan. That's a spiritual attack. Like they don't teach you how to address or deal with these hard human emotions. And it was, I think it was like the fall of 2021 where I reached out to a, a popular creator. He was a former pastor. His name is Josh Harris. He wrote this book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and it heavily influenced purity culture, you know, which is all about, you know, safe sex for marriage. Don't kiss until your marriage day. No, like not much physical contact court, but he wrote that book. And it sold over a million copies worldwide, and he became was a very influential pastor. But he then publicly left Christianity and apologized for all the harmfulness that he caused of his teachings and his beliefs. And that stood stood out to me when I, that happened. And I had been following him since. And he gave a platform to survivors to share their story on his Instagram live, and he would do that every once in a while. So I reached out, and I was like, I have a story to share and I have this photo series and I think I feel like I, I need to do this. Like I can't, there was something inside of me that's like, you cannot stay quiet anymore. Like you have to speak up and just something that I fought against. I was like, no, like this is not a good time. Like not a good time to do that. But my intuition was really strong and I felt this strange sense that like everything's going to work out. And so I did the interview and I denounced fundamentalist Christianity and its teachings. I came out of the closet. I educated people on religious trauma and the bring awareness to that. So a lot all at once. And when I was expelled, it was just, when it happened, it was just such a, there were so many mixed emotions, but it was just like part, one of the emotions was just relief because so many so many people were like, why did you do that? It was your last semester. You were almost there. And for me, it was re another representation of my journey of claiming my autonomy. It was like, this is what my parents wanted. I don't want Bob Jones University. Like, I don't want to say, I'm a BJU grad. And I got to the point in my journey where I had grown enough to be like, I felt really ashamed that I went there. I was kind of embarrassed too. And of course, looking back, I realized all the coercive control and power dynamics that made me end up being there. But I was like, this isn't me. And in my mind, I was like, you know what? My entire life has been written out for me by my parents. So I want to rip up all the pages take the pen in my own hand and write my own story of what my life wants to be. And abandoning and denouncing that system was a way for me to start claiming my own identity. And I did it very publicly. And I don't regret that. <laughs> I would still do it again because I think it opened up the door for conversations about fundamentalist Christianity, about Bob Jones University, again, questioning that authority. And when I was expelled, I was, you know, I thankfully I was able to move in with that family that I met 
they were like, we, you know, you do not have to go back to your parents' house. You don't have to be in that environment anymore. So I was able to move in with them. And, you know, here I am thrown out of this environment. And I, I lost so many friends, so many friends from that. And basically like starting over, like losing all my network and career connections, you know, of course, fired from my job and everything. And here I am. And like, there, there is a fear around it and uncertainty, but there was also a sense of excitement, I think. And immediately, like I, when I was kicked out, I was thankfully able to find a therapist who acknowledged religious trauma and they had also been to Bob Jones and they left because it was harmful. So they know what I went through. And so I went to therapy and thankfully I was able to transfer to another college. I transferred three years of my college and I graduated back in May of 2023 with my bachelor's degree. So I ended up finishing and, you know, in between that time, I've been sharing my story on social media and on podcasts and educating people on religious trauma, cults, and fundamentalism. And I also, I work for the Indoctrination podcast with Rachel Bernstein. So that's been just such a great opportunity to continue to help other survivors. But that's really how that played out. A couple of the things you mentioned I just wanted to touch on because I think so many of these organisations kind of operate in this way that they really do use shame so strongly to keep people from speaking out and they put that shame on the individual around so many aspects of their experiences and who they are as a person. And so it's interesting to hear you say that you felt shame about having been to BJU and having been a student there, but then instead you managed to kind of harness that experience to then be able to to speak to me today and, and, and use that to speak to mm-hmm. others, which I think is really fantastic. So just thinking back on your time with BJU, are there any particularly notable incidents that come to mind? Yeah, I think for me throughout the years, there are definitely several core incidents I think that happened there. And like I said, in the beginning, I tried so hard to follow the rules and eventually started breaking them and learning how to get away with that. And in an environment where you're always watched, it's hard to get away with things. And like I said, there's a hierarchical structure in each dorm. Each dorm has a dorm supervisor. He's like basically like the head of the dorm. And then under him is a dorm mentor. And then under the dorm mentor are residence assistants. There's one on each floor. And then there's discipleship group leaders on each floor, several of them. And then there's assistant discipleship group leaders on each floor. So you have all these these structures that are watching you and reporting if you go against the rules. So it's so hard to break the rules, but I l- tried to be stay low and survive. But apparently, some people noticed behavior they saw as suspicious. And this behavior was me during the day, I would walk off campus, and I would go to a nearby park just to like de-stress. It was like a half a mile walk, I would go. And I think what got me caught the first time was someone saw me not in church. I was walking across the street, and someone saw me not in church when I was supposed to be. And it was a teacher. And I remember the teacher confronted me and it was really like a weird 
situation. They were like, oh my gosh, I saw you walking on Sunday. And I, and I, and I sat there and I was like, holy shit. I was like, I wasn't in church. And like, they drove by and they saw me not in church. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I like taking walks. It's really relaxing. And I was just like awkwardly like, ugh. And like, they had this very fake insincere smile and like i could see the slyness of like i caught you and that teacher never said anything to me but after that teacher confronted me the i noticed when i walked off campus and this wasn't even on a sunday it was just a regular day when i could walk off campus my dorm supervisor followed me off campus to see where i was going and I remember being like, oh, maybe he's just taking a walk. I'm like, he was probably like, so, like uh, I don't know how many, how far he was. I would, I would just say like maybe 300 feet behind me walking on a sidewalk. And that's the thing. When you are at Bob Jones, you look out for the leadership. You take a note of what they're wearing. And you're like, okay, I know what they're wearing. I know what they look like. I'm going to avoid you. And that's kind of was my attitude. I would make a note of what all the leaders were wearing in the dorm. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to stay away from you. And so when I noticed him walking, I was like, and he was with his wife and like they had their child in a, a stroller or whatever walking. And I was like, Oh, maybe they're just walking as a family. And you know, they kept, they were still behind me. So I was, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go off the sidewalk and I'm going to go off some back roads just to see if they follow me. And it turned out that every back road turn that I went on, they were there. And so eventually I was like, they are following me and I do not want them to know where I'm going because that park is my safe space and they are not running that for me. And so I, once I turned around a corner, I ran like hell, like where they couldn't see me. And I ran back around to the dorms. And eventually I did see them come back after soon after I had ran back. And I was like, oh God. And so I was then so scared. I was like, am I on some kind of list of students that they're watching? And so I then tried to be more careful about my behavior. And it made me want to stay on campus more. It made me not want to leave campus. It, it made me want to isolate. And there was a second time that I was followed. And this was a time when I decided that it would just get too much for me that there were times at night. I'm like, you know what? I want to go to this park at night. I know my curfew. I know what time discipleship groups are. I can, you know, I, I shouldn't get in trouble for this. So I, it's at night and I go to this park. I go down all these different back roads to make sure no one sees me or knows where I'm going. I get to the park, I time it, and then I walk back. I'm just in time for a few minutes before discipleship groups. But before, like, you know, it's discipleship group time, my residence assistant knocks on the door and he comes in and he was like, hi, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm good. He's like, he's like, I'm really worried about you. Are you depressed or something or really down? Because he's like, I just saw you earlier walk into the woods. And in my mind, I was like, walk, like, because then he, he emphasized walking into the dark woods. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, that's the entrance to the park because it was very poorly lit in this park. And I was just freaked out for a second. Cause I'm like, it was very dark. 
how did he know I was going there? Why he was there? And I was like, I walked back. It took me 30 minutes to walk back. So he had to have a car there waiting to even like see me and know where I am. So in my mind, I'm trying to figure out or make sense of how he saw me. And he was like, yeah, he's like, I'm just, you know, are you okay? And I, and I just put on my fake smile. I'm like, oh yeah, I am so good. I just like to take walks. Sometimes it can be really relaxing. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, I just want to check up on you and make sure everything's okay. And then like he left and I was like, oh my God. And I'm like, now that park isn't safe for me because this person followed me. And, and like, you know, I later I was like, well, he had to know where I was going. He had to be there waiting. And then he had to drive back and then confront me about it. And so that made me even more anxious about being watched and about things that I did. And, you know, thankfully at the end of my freshman year, I was out of that dorm and I was, I was not under those specific leaders anymore. So my sophomore year, I was able to be under, you know, a different leadership system who didn't know me, but I was afraid of like, you know, do they have a file of me and do they, like, do they give this file to this person and they'll watch this person? This is his behavior. But I had to be more careful about things that I did. And I continued to skip church. And there are times that I literally would hide in my dorm room closet when we were supposed to be gone. And I would hear the person come in. They would never check the closets. They would check the beds and they would leave. And I would just be in my room. And so those were some of the things that I had to do. Because I was like, okay, I'm like if anyone sees me outside, not at church, like that's not going to be good. And there were times where I still went to that park every once in a while because I just, it was my safe place. And thankfully no, no one ever caught me there on a Sunday, but for other stories and really incidents of Bob Jones university, I think another instance was the lack of privacy. I think I had mentioned that, you know, during, we would go to chapel and during chapel, they would check the dorm rooms. We had room assignments every day. Like you had to always have the floor cleaned. You always had to have your bed made. The sink had to be perfect. Mirror had to be clean. And if you didn't do these things perfectly, you would get demerits. And I remember coming back after chapel, you know, the room had been checked. And I remember going back and going through my drawers. And I was like, things have been moved around in my drawers. Like I did not have it organized this way. And I realized that someone had been going through my drawers looking for things. And I was just like, felt so invaded of that. And so thankfully I had a lockbox of my own private things and also things that they wouldn't want me to have, but that I kept stuff in because I know how they are. But it was just like that sense of always being watched, no privacy, and I think also during my time at that school, I always knew that they could see what we did on the internet regarding like search engines because we were hooked up to their Wi-Fi, and they had a lot of websites blocked. But there were some things that weren't blocked that if you searched it or did it, it would get flagged in their system and you would get confronted about it by your dorm supervisor. And I had always thought, okay, just don't search things on the internet and you'll be fine. And this was when I realized the control and the extent of what they could see 
on our phones. And I remember I had a dating app and I got a notification on my phone for it. And, you know, usually when I got on the dating app, I would always turn off the Wi-Fi just to be safe. I never thought notifications would be an issue on your phone that like that would alert their system. And so I then get an email of, oh, we there's some activity on the internet that we notice we need to meet with you. So I, I meet with this person and they were like, oh yeah, they're like, it's the, they're like, do you know why you're in here? And they always do this because they want you to confess things that you're not in trouble for to get you into more trouble. So for me, I just played dumb and I'm like, I have no idea why I'm here. I'm like, if you could please tell me, because in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, I skip church all the time. I listen to music. I watch, yeah, like I do all these things. I break the rules a lot. So I was like, I just like, I have no idea. Please tell me. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, he's like, He's like, technically, he's like, he's like, are you on any dating apps? And immediately I was like, no. And then once I said no, I was like, Andrew, he obviously knows you're on a dating app. And thankfully it was Bumble. So it wasn't like uh, like Grindr or anything else because that would have like been an issue at that school. And he's like, yeah, he's like, our systems got alerted because you got a notification on your phone. And immediately I'm like, you can see notifications on my phone. Like you can get alerted about that. Like that was just, I had no idea the control of what they could see on our phones. And I was just trying to grapple with that. And I was like, how can I lie? How can I lie about, I just lied to his face and they got an alert about a notification of a dating app. And I was like, Andrew, like you have to come up with a lie. And so I, I came up with an amazing lie, which I'm usually not good at lying, but you know, under pressure, I was able to. And I said to this leader, I was like, I backtracked and I was like, you know what? I'm like, I might've been on it in the past and maybe I got an email about it because they had my email and that like alerted your system about it. And he was like, oh yeah. He's like, that's a possibility. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, right now he's like, technically dating apps aren't against the rules right now but he's like you know with hookup culture he's like you're not allowed to meet up with the opposite gender which you know of course he assumed i was straight but like he's like you're not allowed to meet the opposite gender off campus i'm like oh yeah i know i'm like i I'm like I, that was from the past i guess and so he bought it and then i was like oh and i deleted the app immediately and i was like i then turned off like all notifications for all my apps so like i'm not getting notifications from anything and i'm telling other people about the that they can see your notifications about this but again like that lack of privacy and there's the invasion of that it was just moments like that i was just absolutely shocked at it and oh my goodness and i think for other incidents that happened at that school one of the most eye-opening things for me was when I got COVID at the school. And so I went to Bob Jones when the pandemic started. It was my sophomore year. So that would have been, it would have been my second semester. So that was early 2020 then that that happened. And the school shut down and everything. And there was actually fear that like the school wouldn't be able to recover financially from it. But that fall when we're still deep in this pandemic, the school still started back up and, you know, we had all these different guidelines to follow to protect ourselves. But I remember we had our mask on 
and over like 2000 students are congregated in this auditorium. And I'm like, why are we doing this? I'm like, these masks aren't going to help if we're 2000 over 2000 of us are in this room and we're sitting every other seat, which is maybe two feet apart. It's not even six feet. So I'm like, what is the point? So of course, like lots of major issues with students getting COVID. And it, like it, there were many numbers in the beginning of that. And we had our own dorm that was just for quarantine. And it was an empty dorm because they had such low enrollment. Like just for perspective, in like the 80s and 90s, they had 5,000 students. When I was there, it was like 2,500, 2,600, something like that. So they have been like basically cut in half from what they had in the past. So they had a whole dorm that no one was really using and it was their quarantine dorm. And I remember getting COVID and the thing that made it hard is they did not have tests available on campus for you. You had to go off campus to the hospital nearby and get tested. I didn't have a car. So when I started getting sick, I didn't get tested. I was like, I'm just in my mind, I'm like, this is a cold. It's not COVID. But when I can no longer taste anything, and the thing for me, though, it was hard to know because the food was so tasteless and awful at the school. I just thought it was their food. But it was when I brushed my teeth and I couldn't taste anything mint that I was like, oh, my gosh, I have COVID. So it had been five days of having COVID already that I, I was still walking around giving it to other people, which I'm sorry I did. Then I'm put into this quarantine dorm. And by the time I get in there, I'm already like basically recovering. Like the worst of it is over for me. And I, they're like, you have, you know, you're, we're going to have you in this dorm for 10 days. And, and honestly, I was excited about it because I didn't have chapel. I didn't have discipleship groups. I didn't have society. I didn't have to hide in the closet when I wasn't going to church. And I even like, I wasn't even required to do homework because teachers were very flexible about having COVID because it was such a new thing. You could, you didn't have to do any homework. They could readjust your schedule specially for you. I, I still got ahead on homework, so I wouldn't be stressed, but I, it was really like a long period of time to like, not be in all the busyness and craziness and in all the indoctrination where I could just sit with my thoughts, listen to my body and notice what is changing. And I remember being in the dorm in this room by myself. And like the only contact I had was a person would come by three times a day to just drop off my meal at the door. And like, we were not allowed to go in the halls when this happened. We had to wait till they left. And I remember just staring at the outside this window and watching all the students just go on their typical routine and schedule, but just like ants in a row following each other, doing what they're doing, conforming. And I just remember sitting there or standing there and being like, like, do they realize the, ex I was like, do they realize the extent of the control that is over them of what's like, what in my mind, I was like, what would happen if everyone got a break from this? What realizations would people have? What would they put up with? And 
at that point, I had I really done a lot of deconstructing, and I think at that point, ready to kind of scared of deconversion, but kind of feeling ready for it. And you know, that semester was again, I struggled with depression, and it was a lot of repressed trauma, and just being in that environment, subjected to those messages, and still having to hide it. And I ended up basically having a mental health crisis again. And then basically I had, I called my mom about it and she was like, you need to meet with a biblical counselor. And I was like, I don't want to do that. They're not mental health professionals. You know, we had no real mental health on campus and I ended up meeting with this person. I ended up just spilling everything out. I just told them everything. I'm like, yeah, I'm gay. I experienced all this trauma, blah, 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 all these things to this high leader. At that point, I was just tired of just living in fear. And once I told this person this, and them knowing that I had had a mental health crisis and feeling suicidal, they're like, I see how you've been paying for your sin. And so in that moment, like, sharing these vulnerable things, talking about your trauma, how you've been treated growing up and what you've been through. And even at that school, they then blame you. And like, that was just kind of the last straw for me. And I was like, and I was like, I don't even think like I believe this stuff. Like I'm so sick of it. And at that point he was like, Oh, he's like, well, I can't help you because biblical counselors are not supposed to counsel anyone who's not, a professing Christian or with their theology. And so after that, he's like, yeah, I just can't help you. And I was shocked that he didn't kick me out, honestly. And I think it was because I had such a clean record and I, you know, I didn't get caught even though I had been followed several times, I guess I just didn't get demerits for that. So for me, here I am. And I, I felt a lot of, even though I was re-traumatized in a sense because of the blame and shame that he put upon me, I still felt a relief of like, Oh, this person in authority knows this about me and they're not expelling me because, you know, in the environment, they, they would call it same sex attraction. It's like, you know, don't act on your same sex attraction. And so, because I hadn't gotten in trouble for that, I think he let me stay. And so eventually I had like a reconversion experience. It was really emotional manipulation. And thankfully I was able to realize that. And again, it was just, I was so used to being beaten down. And then there was a sermon that was so loving and so wonderful that just took me by surprise and really like swept me off my feet in a sense and just got an emotional high from it. And thankfully the next day I was like able to have the critical thinking to be like, that wasn't spiritual at all. That was emotional. That was psychological. But I already texted this counselor back. I was like, Oh, I had this conversion experience. So I was like, okay, like I can't tell this person that I think it's bullshit. So, and I was, I also, I wanted to learn more, I think about Christianity from his perspective and really be discipled. And the reason for that was I just, you know, of course, I still had their dumb Bible classes to take, but in the chapel sermons, it wasn't really learning about theology or whatever. It was just about shame, blame, and very like shallow messages. And so for a semester, I was discipled, and it was really 
I was deconverting. This is what this person was helping me do, but they didn't realize it. And he wanted to turn the discipleship into conversion therapy. And he had told me this in the beginning. He's like, yeah, he's like, we will start as a discipleship group and then we'll kind of switch over into your sexuality. And so while I was in quarantine, he had given me a book by this person who claims to be an ex-gay and had overcome homosexuality because in that environment, it was seen as like a mental illness or an addiction or disease that you need to get rid of. And after reading the book, and which I, after I read it, I later then shredded it and threw it away, which felt really good. But I remember this guy in this book, he wasn't really changed. He was just really repressing his own sexuality and he had gotten married and he had kids, but he was just repressing this part of him because he admitted he's like yeah i still have these desires but i just fight daily god helps me blah blah and i knew it was bs and so um i once the sessions turned into conversion therapy and it was after like my first session of conversion therapy i do not remember anything that happened in the first session because i like disassociation that's like my go-to trauma response and I, I don't remember anything. I just, I remember sitting there, but it was just, I was so numb and like not present. And so I remember, the only thing I remember is really leaving the room and just feeling that weight back on my spirit, this weight on my chest, those feelings of depression, the feelings, the suicidal thoughts coming back. And my intuition was like, you don't need to do this. And so... I listened to my intuition and I was like, I texted this person and I told them I am not doing this anymore. This is toxic. This is harmful. And they tried to meet with me again. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. And that was the end of my junior year. So I come back my senior year again. So this is when I started working on the photo series and I've already, I've like, I'm deconverted and then I just feel so strange going back to Bob Jones University and just so honestly, like really done with it. I was like, I don't want to be here anymore, but I'm going to push through what I can. And of course, I got expelled out of that environment. And thankfully, I was able, I, I was surprised how I was still able to make friends from Bob Jones when I left, but I had never known those people while I was there. They had reached out to me and was like, Oh, like, thank you so much for speaking up. I'm so sorry that you were expelled. And it's been surprising to see this. I'm still friends with some people from Bob Jones that I never knew while I was there, but I become friends with while I was out. And one of the things about that though was as I've been friends with this person, thankfully they're out of Bob Jones now, but while they were there, they were afraid to tell anyone that they were friends with me because, you know, I was expelled. And when I was expelled, a smear campaign happened with leadership. They were trying to get people to stay away from me. I was the bad one. I was the evil one now. And they, I was the bad apple. And I remember I, I went back to their sermon archives to see what's like what kind of sermons happened after I so publicly denounced the teachings and the toxicity and left and came out of the closet. Cause it just I didn't ex 
expect it to catch on so much on campus, but it did. And I think it's because it's, it's something that never happens in that environment. Someone who goes against the authority so publicly and doesn't conform. And so I look back and I was like, oh, let's see. Let's just look at the sermons after I left. And there was a sermon that Bob Jones III had taught or preached. And like, I don't know if it was about me. I think it definitely was because of just the things that he said. But he talked about, he's like, yeah, he's like, when students, when we have bad apples in our midst, we have to get rid of them. Like, it's a bad apple, it will burn all the apples. He's like, when you have cancer, it'll destroy your whole body. You have to get rid of the cancerous spot. And I remember listening to that and just laughing to myself. I'm like, oh my God, like y'all are ridiculous. And I laughed because I knew that students weren't buying into it. A lot of students followed me on social media and were following my story and reading the education that I was putting out there. And I was thankful for that, that they were exposing their minds to something different, to another person's experience. But I remember my friend being scared that telling anyone that she was friends with me or even posing a picture with me, she was afraid she would get in trouble with Bob Jones if she was friends with me and that they knew that. So that's another element of the control that they had. But those were some of the core experiences and really incidents that I had at that school. Yeah, that's that's some incredible stuff in there and just the like the extent of the monitoring of you Mm -hmm. and the, you know, that, that phone stuff is like, I didn't even know that that was a possible thing to do, which is maybe my own tech illiteracy, but like (laughs) watch out what Wi-Fi you're on. Right. Yes. Um, And for that to, yeah. And just that you going for a walk at night into a park would be something that they would even bring up as a potential issue. Like there are so many aspects of that that are so disturbing. Yeah. And So, yeah, I think it's incredible that you're now using these past experiences to share more widely uh, and help others understand what what is going on in these spaces. So before we finish up, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to talk about? Yes, I totally forgot. I had the handbook pulled up and there were some things that I wanted to talk a little bit about their handbook. So like I said in the interview, we had to read it every year or at least semester. And we had to sign a covenant that, oh yeah, we'll follow the rules. And if we don't, they can kick us out or whatever. And I pulled up the most recent handbook and it's like 80 pages long. And they, I wanted to read some of the core principles they have behind why they have the handbook and why they have these rules. So the, Here it says core principles. The first one is personal discipline. And it says the structure at BJU encourages personal discipline, reflecting Christ's demands for spirit-empowered moderation and discipline. No pursuit is more worthwhile than conditioning oneself for eternity. This self-control entails submitting our impulses so for example, anger and fleshly habits, for example, laziness, to the renewing influence of God's spirit. Self-discipline also includes stewardship. In other words, reflecting Christ involves wisely using your time, talents, and material possession God gives us and use it for his glory. Other evidence of self-discipline are punctuality, cleanliness, and 
and preparedness and all are also important qualities but christian virtue extends well beyond initiative and responsibility christ likeness relates to god and others therefore built on top of the need for personal discipline are several other principles that shape expectations for our educational community i.e cult <laughs> the other um core things are loving respect integrity and purity so loving respect a christian university such as bju provides a unique setting in which to live out the blood uh, blood-bought unity we enjoy in christ successful community life requires a spirit of mutual humility and consideration so respect for each other so it scripture commands to esteem each other's as more significant than ourselves we obey god by showing sacrificial consideration for the well-being of those around us regardless of appearance age ethnicity gender ability or spiritual maturity (laughs) so they discriminate a lot on (laughs) gender and they have discriminated a lot on ethnicity in the past so and notice they don't put sexual orientation or gender identity in here at all and so moving on it says this respect includes speaking truth in love which is not optional for believers believers converse in ways that build up instead of tear down okay they tear us down all the time but anyways god including wholesome language that avoids profanity and euphemisms so it's bju is committed to maintaining a living learning and working environment free of bullying Okay, well, I couldn't talk about bullying, but whatever. Bullying is defined as the act of individual intimidating one or more persons through verbal, physical, mental, or written interactions. So again, again, then it emphasizes, in addition, bullying on the basis of race, color, age, sex, national or ethnic origin, protected disability or veteran status, and for married students and medical needs. So, Okay, yeah, and basically they're listing that, oh yeah, these things are against their be- their discrimination and harassment policy. And of course, they leave out gender identity and sexual orientation. But the next thing in their principles are it's respect for authority, which is a big part in these environments, is obeying authority no matter what. And so in the handbook, it says, reflecting Christ entails walking in humility and choosing to submit to others. God's written authority, the Bible teaches that he also exercises authority through several kinds of human leadership. The primary biblical authority structures are the family, government, and the church. At BJU, we commit ourselves to obey the God-given authorities in our lives. We honor the regulations that pertain to us as an American institution of higher education. BJU supports the discipleship efforts of Bible-believing churches and Christian families, in part through providing a structured environment, also known as controlling every aspect of your life, that promotes biblical Christian living. A student accepts BJU's authority voluntarily by signing the student covenant and indicating that his or her intent to 
contribute to an edifying environment with a cooperative spirit and to abide by the university's policies. Oof. Okay. I'm going to skip over some things. This is a lot. So the last thing, purity. So purity is reflecting Christ means displaying God's distinctive character and grateful response to Christ's costly redemption. Holiness entails separation from the godless world system by discerning where one's culture reflects evil values. By living holy, separated lives, we publicly proclaim that he is worth loving and following. Our primary ways we pursue holiness is through moral purity. And calling us a purity, God forbids viewing sexuality as a means of exploiting others. So this means honoring God's design for sex and celebrating it and practicing it only within marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Since what we do springs from how we think, this commitment also means controlling what one allows him or herself to view and read and petitioning God's spirit to purify one's thoughts, motives, and actions. And finally, in order to not fit in comfortably with the world and to subject ourselves to the Holy Spirit's control instead, and this means not using substances, and our commitment to purity extends to a prohibition against alcohol, illegal drugs, abuse of prescription drugs, or smoking, vaping, or tobacco. But that's just a, that's a lot. And there's a lot of control in that, but I just wanted to read that just to show, and throughout all of that language and that, it's like, we want to control you. We're controlling all these aspects. And they justify it through these like so-called spiritual reasonings. And something that irks me about that, some of the things that was said in that handbook was, oh, you voluntarily signed the covenant over, like you sign your life over to follow these rules and things. And that's not true for a lot of students because a lot of us are coerced to go there and we have no choice. Like when you don't have options, that's not a choice. So that's just something I want to emphasize with that. And so was there anything more that you wanted to tell me about the work that you're doing now in the aftermath of your experiences? Yeah. So when I left that environment and I was willing to really risk everything and lose everyone to live an authentic life, be true to myself and really help other survivors. And so once I was excommunicated out of that environment, I was like, you know what? I'm free. You know, I, they, they can't control me anymore. And I realized that because they couldn't control me, they tried to control the way other people saw me because that's what they could try to do to have that control. And so once I left, I was like, I'm going to keep speaking up. And I think that was a core part of my story was speaking up and the ramifications that came with that. And that's when I became vocal on social media about my story. And of course, like, you know, my photo series was out there. I started educating people specifically on religious trauma just trying to make people realize that you can experience trauma from these toxic religious teachings. So please question them. Like, don't let them tell you it's you, that you're not trusting enough, that you're not believing enough. Question these authorities, question these systems of control. Don't let them have this power over you. 
And that's what I started to do. And then I started an Instagram live called speaking up and Instagram live had a lot of issues. So I'm like, I'm just going to change this into a podcast called speaking up with Andrew Pledger. It's now called speaking up surviving religions and cults. But for me, I wanted to give a platform for people to have a safe space to share their stories because of the impact that that made on me. That's Joshua Harris. He gave me that platform. He gave me that safe space. Like that interview with him, that was the first time in my life that I was seen, heard, and understood. And I wanted to give that opportunity to, for other people because it's it was life-changing for me. And I wanted to give that opportunity to other people. And so that's why I started that podcast. And then I continued being a digital creator and creating resources online for survivors of systems of control. And of course, working for the indoctrination podcast, I do social media work for them. And eventually I was like, as I learned more and more, um, like I was so grateful to learn cult education when I left because I had never considered that I grew up in a cult and I never considered that Bob Jones was a cult because it's all I knew. It was so normal to me. And in my mind, I had the idea of a cult as like the most extreme situation. I'm like, Oh, like you, in my mind, it's like, Oh, I have to be like chained up to a wall in a room or whatever, or, you know, these extreme, the worst case scenarios. But as I learned more that cults exist on a spectrum and they're actually very complex and nuanced in these different high control groups. And once I just started exploring the bite model and Lifton's criteria for thought reform and in my mind, I could things in my, you know, both the, the independent fundamental Baptist movement and also Bob Jones, I just immediately was like, oh my God, all these things my eyes just are opening and it really protected me from getting involved in another group. And so talking to other survivors has been a great learning experience, but it's also been so healing. I think also for me, and I'm also so excited about the podcast that I'm working on now called surviving bob jones university a christian cult it's the first podcast about bob jones university and no one's made a documentary yet about bob jones so any filmmakers out there if you want to do a documentary on a cult like there's a lot of history a lot of dirt a lot of awful things about bob jones but the podcast is a limited series and it covers the history the psychology of fundamentalism the criteria for cults, and then survivors' experiences from different backgrounds and fundamentalism's influence on society and the consequences of that. So it's kind of, you know, it's using Bob Jones as like a micro example of fundamentalism. And then in the end, you know, the macro of how does this affect you? How does this affect society? And I'm so excited for it because so many people have been afraid to speak up against Bob Jones University. And I'm so, so grateful for the survivors who are coming on the podcast and speaking up. And there are a lot of survivors who are choosing to remain anonymous because of their fear 
of the backlash of it and what might happen. So I respect that 100%, but I'm excited for this podcast to be released and all of the conversations that can come out of it and also validating all the other survivors' experiences and help them on their own healing journeys. And I can't wait to listen to the podcast. You can subscribe now. It's out this week. All those details will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for speaking with me and our audience today, Andrew. It's been a real pleasure. And yeah, thank you for sharing your experiences. Of course. And thank you again so much for giving me the platform and the time to share a lot from all the things I experienced in this cult. huge thanks to Andrew Pledger for speaking with me for this episode. You can subscribe to his podcast, Surviving Bob Jones University, A Christian Cult, now if you'd like to hear more. There's a link in the show notes, where you can also find a link to Andrew's photo series, which I was keen to check out after we spoke. You can access early and ad-free episodes and support the production of this independent podcast via Patreon, patreon.com slash ltaspod, or with a one-off donation or merch purchase. You can also grab a copy of my book, Do As I Say. That link's in the show notes too. This episode of Let's Talk About Sects was written and produced by me, Sarah Steele. Music was by Joe Gould, whose fantastic soundtrack album, Nobody Joins a Cult, is out now. If you've been personally affected by involvement in a cult, or would like to support those who have been, you can find support with or donate to Cult Information and Family Support if you're in Australia via cifs.org.au And you can find resources outside of Australia with the International Cultic Studies Association via icsahome.com. If you or someone you know is in crisis or needs support right now, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 in Australia or find your local crisis centre via the International Association for Suicide Prevention website at iasp.info. Thanks for joining me and hope to catch you again next episode. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Kia ora world. I'm Kaz. I'm Liz. And I'm Lindy. And together we are Cult Chat. We're coming to you over the airways from little old Aotearoa, New Zealand, land of flightless birds, hobbits, marmite, and also some really wacky groups. And that's why we're here. On Cult Chat, we ask whether Kiwis know how to recognise a culty group and give tips on how to sniff out the telltale signs that a group is harmful. Join us as we unpack the cult playbook, talk to survivors of New Zealand cults and interview experts in the field. Journey with us as we traverse the cultiverse. Cult Chat is available on various streaming platforms and social media.